Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. God bless you, family. I hope you're enjoying our service today. Our worship team is amazing. Our media team, our tech team is amazing. They go through so much to make service happen in person and online, and we thank you for joining us. I'm going to invite you to go in your Bibles to the letter um, that Peter wrote, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read from verses 11 through 17. You can go there. We're going to go there in just a moment, but we are continuing this two-part series. This is part number two. If you missed part number one, please look it up online, and we've entitled this two-part series, In God We Trust. In God We Trust. We are on the precipice of another election. Uh, We are just a couple of days away from Election Tuesday. And we, as the Church of Jesus Christ, need to answer the bell. This is a difficult season already with 2020 being what 2020 is. And, And 2020 will go into the annals of history as one of the most difficult uh, years uh, on, in, on record, uh, especially in the last hundred years. So uh, from corner to corner of the globe, people of all different races and languages and ethnicities have been challenged. And here in America, we have felt the same uh, challenge. And now here towards the end of the year, we have an election, an election in a season that has been hyper-politicized. It seems that everything has been touched, colored, marked by politics. And what we are wanting to do, what we are endeavoring to do, is to have the church of Thrive, and and, and, and perhaps you go to another church, but I hope this encourages you too, that we, the church of Jesus Christ, rise up and meet the challenge before us, and that we do so anointed by God's Holy Spirit, with hearts full of love, and with a great grasp of our identity and our calling at this time. So I want to remind us today that it is in God we trust. And if you do attend Thrive or if you're in the area and you're hearing this message on Sunday morning, I encourage you to join us for prayer at Thrive Church in Lathrop at 5 p.m. as we pray for our nation and our election. I want to let you know that God has something to say about civil government. And we're going to read one passage. There are others. There are plenty of others where we see that God is involved in government. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and read verses 11 through 17 as Peter encourages believers in a time where Nero has already been emperor and and set Christians on fire. And most believe that Peter wrote this letter during the time of Emperor Domitian, who was also known as a tremendous persecutor of Christians. So these are troubling times when Peter writes these words. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong 
and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I want to just share with you, family, that uh, a reminder, and these two messages really do work in unison, that elections are important, and Christians should care very much about how they vote. We should be concerned about who governs us and what laws get legislated. We have a tremendous opportunity as U.S. citizens to participate in the selection of president, Congress, governor, state legislatures, all the way down to our mayors and our local city councils. I want to let you know that God provided government as a vehicle to promote important attributes in society. God established government to promote righteousness, justice, and freedom. God provided an infrastructure. Again, a vehicle, a tool. Government is a tool of God to promote righteousness, that people would live rightly, that there would be justice for uh, for those who are victimized by those who would act unrighteously, and that government would allow freedom for people to fulfill God's purposes and destinies for them. So government is not opposition to God or to the ways of God, but actually government was intended by God to help facilitate, again, righteousness, justice, and freedom. So we as believers should be looking at our election ballot through a particular lens, and that is how can we participate in a democracy and cast a vote not based on a platform or a personality, but rather how can we cast votes that promote kingdom values, that we would help to establish a government, we can do that in a democracy, that we would help to establish a government that would fulfill the will of God's intention or God's intention for government. And that is that it would be a government that facilitates righteous living, that brings justice when crimes are committed, and that would promote freedom. And so government is very important, but there is one who supersedes all government. And that, of course, is Christ himself. And so although we will participate as, I believe, good citizens and good Christians, by participating in the responsibility of voting, because government is important, we only have one Messiah or one King of Kings. And so I would encourage you that as you look at the different uh, legislation that is being presented to us, as we consider those that are running for office to represent us, that we dig a little deeper rather than just checking off a red or blue box, but that we look a little deeper and, and we take the time, we can do this now with technology, it doesn't, it's not hard to try to discover what a person, how a person might lead 
our state and our nation. And how does that measure up? How does that reflect the heart of God? Because we should be voting as an expression of the heart of God. Now, I want to just encourage you with four principles here that has to do with our identity. The first one is that we are a people primarily of the book. The book is the word of God. We are a people of the book. When God established government, when he organized society, he first gave us 10 commandments. I've heard it compared to the constitution that they would be like 10 amendments. And then there were 613 laws that were given by God that reflected the 10 commandments. The 613 laws helped to apply the 10 commandments, the 10 amendments to a particular person's life in everyday society. As you went about your business, there were 613 laws that reflected the 10 commandments. So let me just let you know that governance has always been the heart of God. We do, we do enjoy a theocracy. In a sense, God ultimately is in charge of the universe. He is in charge of our nation. He ultimately is calling the shots. Whichever way you pull that lever or check that box, however you cast your vote, we enjoy the sovereignty of God. This is what the book tells us. We are a people of the book, not of our current culture. We should not be a product of our culture. We should no longer even be a product of a family lineage, but we should be a product of a relationship with Christ that encourages us or that leads us into submission to the very word of God. Ultimately, Preeminently, we are a people of the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. Say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Don't let your children just go think whatever they think and believe whatever they believe. No. Good parents impress, inscribe, instruct, teach, model the commandments that God gives us. He says, talk about them when you sit at home. It's a part of your family dynamic. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What God is giving here is rules and legislation. He is saying, this is how you must live. And this is how you should interact with one another. And it is not up for debate. These laws I give are eternal. And he says to own them. He says to, to, to bind them. He says to share them. See, family, God knew that we would like to debate even with him. And so some of us, I'll just say that many of society's ills 
have to do or are a result of people who call themselves Christians that, that even in fact have a relationship with God. But when the rubber meets the road and their own personal opinions uh, divert from the word of God, they often choose their opinions over the word of God. And if we're going to be a people of the book, when our opinions and beliefs contradict the word of God, the word of God must win that tug of war. You can have a belief and it be wrong. You can have something that's been ingrained in you since you were a, a child. Why? Because we are, we are products of fallen men and women, fathers and mothers that may have done their best, but nobody's perfect. And they might have instilled in us a belief that runs contrary to the word of God. You are not a person of your last name. You, we are called to be a people of the book where the word of God supersedes everything else. And that word of God teaches us that government should be a vehicle only of, 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 of allowing or facilitating righteousness, justice, and freedom. It was never meant to be worshiped and it was never meant to be depended on. The word of God teaches us that in him we live and move and have our being, that he sustains the universe of his own will, that he spoke and everything happened. There was no vote, there was no election, there was no legislation, God simply willed it and it was. We need to be a people that are committed to the book. We have to believe that even when government fails us, even when government seems to be opposing the church and his people, when it seems that government is going away from the will of God and is beginning to produce ungodly laws, that somehow, some way, God is working. He is sovereign. Peter wrote this letter, again, after Nero, who set Christians on fire and likely during the reign of Domitian that, that, that is often called the father of the second persecution of Christians. So these the, this, this disciple who is commending the word of God to brothers and sisters, believers in Christ who are under tremendous pressure, who are being led by pagan leaders to trust the fact that God is sovereign and that we are to be good citizens, be a people of the book. We are first a people of the book. And second, we are a people on a mission, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says this. Again, he writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, live such good lives. Can you say that with me? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Just two sub points I wanna share with you. First of all, is this. According to this text, according to Peter, we ultimately do not belong here. He describes these believers that have been exiled, that are on the run because of their faith. He encourages them and he calls them, he describes them as foreigners and exiles. 
These are people that are traveling. Can I just remind you, friend, that we are traveling through history? We don't belong on this planet. I love America, but I don't belong ultimately to America. I belong, belong to God. And I don't pine for a perfect country because I know we'll never get it. Although I'll do my best, my level best, to promote the kingdom of God while I'm here. That's part of my mission. But ultimately, I am sojourning. I am traveling to live with God forever. That is my forever home. And while I'm on a mission, while I don't belong here, I have an assignment. I don't belong here, but I have an assignment while I'm here. You don't belong here ultimately, but you have an assignment while you are here. And that assignment is to bring glory to God, to exalt God's name. The other day, Lori was, had come to church and it was a really long day. So she brought me some lunch and we had lunch together in my office. And then I was walking her out the office door to the car and we walk out and she looks and she gasps and there's two kittens and they're hiding under a bush right outside the office door. Now, can I just tell you, we are, we are not cat people. If you're a cat person, God bless you. You have a special grace. But I'm allergic to cats. Cats tend not to like me. They can be aloof. They can be uh, temperamental. Um, they can act like they're smarter than you, and they might be, I don't know. But, but cats are no fun to me. I'm a dog person, but only not real hairy dogs because even they make me sneeze. So I need dogs with short hair. I don't need cats. Well, she saw these cats, and the mother instinct in her rose up and she decided to save these kittens. So we were scrambling. We got a cardboard box somewhere and we found some cream in the office and we, we, we gra grabbed them. They, they were trying to get away, but they were really kind of half starved. So they didn't get very far. And we got them in this box and, and Lori has a mission. <clears throat> Her mission is to take these cats to the animal shelter and get them somewhere safe. So I get home that afternoon and I go in the house and I go and the family's in the backyard. I go in the backyard and I, I realize that Lori diverted from her mission. She took those cats to my house. Not only did she take those kittens to my house, which I'm a very allergic, and so is Lori. She's allergic too. But they had, they had cat food and they had a cat bowl, and there was even a cat toy. And I'm thinking, there is no way those cats better get comfortable in my house. They don't belong in my house. But this was, this was Lori, and, and all of a sudden, the kids start naming them. And then you know it's all downhill from there. Once they got names, they're not moving out. They're, like, they're, they're part of my family now, and I can't even touch them without breaking out. And, 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 and I said, Lori, they were never supposed to be at my house. And she says, I know, but I, they were so skinny. And I'm just gonna, you know, get them healthy. And I'm thinking, well, they're, they're not supposed to stay at my house, but they're at my house right now. They're at my house right now. Can I tell you, friend, that the truth is, believer, Christian, listen, this has been a hard year. And I have seen Christians who should be on a mission to love people and to represent Christ, especially in this hypersensitive, difficult, challenging, painful season. And I think there are some believers I've run into that I would bet would be quicker to love on some lost kittens 
than they would be to love on someone who's voting differently than them. They'd be quicker to love on some, they were, these, these kids were, had fleas all over them. They'd be quicker to pick up some flea-infested kittens than they would be to reach out to someone who's irritating them, who thinks differently than them, who has a different background, experience than them. Friends, can I just tell you that the Holy Spirit needs to convict us because we are not on a mission from a Joe Biden or a Donald Trump. We're not on a mission from any California state legislature. They did not breathe life into our lungs. They do not own us. We have been called to be on a mission that ultimately does not build one platform political over another platform political. We have been called to live one life on this short journey to build the kingdom of God, that we would live such good lives that we would abstain from sinful desires, that we would live so righteously and so lovingly that the pagans, Peter describes, these pagans, these lost people that don't even believe in our God, that they would see us and even though they want to slander us, they wouldn't be able to do it because we've lived such good lives that we win them. Peter says that they would see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That means we won them. They went from pagan to brother and sister because of our good deeds, because of our, the fruit of our lives, that the, that the Holy Spirit would work so much in us that they are won over to us. Can I just let you know and set you free that our joy is not established on an election and our peace is not established on a governor and our joy is not established on a Congress. We have joy and peace and strength and love because of who we have believed in, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We cannot be distracted. We cannot be deterred from our mission. We can't let one political party or another suck us out of our lane, grapple us and convince us and persuade us to follow after them. We have to stay in our lane. We have to stay upon that narrow road and do what we have been given life to do. We are missionaries and messengers. We are heralds of the kingdom of God, that he loves us and he is sovereign. No matter what, what the world needs today is hope. And that hope will not come from a particular party. God supersedes it all. I heard a, a good pastor say that if you're Republican, be Republican light. If you're Democrat, be Democrat light. Because we don't owe our allegiance to a party or a platform or a politician. We owe our allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's called us on a mission. Do not abdicate it. Don't let us not get our hands dirty like all the pagans around us do as they scramble and as they panic and as they worry as if there is no God. But we know God. We know the alpha and the omega. We know the beginning and the end. He has the last word. And we have the privilege of being on mission during this difficult time. 
what a precious opportunity we have to shine like stars in the dark, Paul writes it, to, to stand out, not because of because my political button's bigger than someone else's political button or, or my, my political uh, argument seems more astute than someone else's political argument. That will not win a soul. It might win a vote, but it won't win a soul. We've been called to win souls. We've been called to a mission that is higher than us and more precious than any other mission one might engage in in this life. The third thing is that we are a people under authority. We are under authority. Again, God established government. We are under authority. Look what Peter says in verse 13 and 14. He writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. So do it as unto God, he says, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. What Peter is saying here is although there is, God establishes government, that governors and leaders are like ministers. Now, they're not all good ministers, just like not every minister in a church is necessarily good at what they do. But God has established authority, and we have one responsibility, and that is so long as it doesn't break God's laws, we submit to authority. We submit to authority. We are good citizens. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But so long as the laws that are established do not contradict God's laws, we're to submit. We're to have a heavenly perspective that although I may not trust the person in that seat, I trust the God who let him or her get there. That Although I may not trust the opinions or the workings in the heart of that man or woman, I trust a sovereign God who works all things for the good. All things, not some things, not most things, not almost everything, but all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Again, we're a people of the book. And so he calls us as believers to exercise our freedom in such a way. This is why the anarchy we've seen in the streets, although there we know there is social injustice, we know that men and, and women are sinful and that we don't treat each other the way we should treat people. And, and some of it is a travesty and a tragedy. But the anarchy we have seen does nothing to produce good results because we have not been called to disorder but to order. And so God has given us a way to live an ordered life. This could be hard for some. This could be hard for some. But let me, let me remind you that if, you, if you're one who has children, you, if you've raised children, and I'm, I'm trying to raise my third and fourth, every single one of them at one point or another will, will question my decision-making. And I will have a particular standard in my house, and, and they will say, but... Johnny's parents don't make him go to bed at 10 or, or Susan's parents let her have a social media account. And without a doubt, every time my first response, it isn't my only response, but my first response is, you don't live with Susie. And Johnny's parents are not your parents. 
Lori and I, your mom and dad, we rule here. These are our rules. And then we'll try to explain why we make the rules that we've made. But ultimately, I'm in charge. Anarchy is never the will of God. My son Levi shared this a few weeks ago or a few months ago. My son Levi had a Rubik's cube and the best he could do were two sides. Like he could get the red side and the green side or the blue side and the yellow side, but he couldn't get more than two sides. So finally what he did is he walked over to me and he handed me a Rubik's cube where all the stickers had been taken off. It was just black because all the stickers were gone and he handed it to me and he said, I did it. Can I just tell you that was funny, but it wasn't true. He didn't do it. And what some of us tend to do because we have a hard time submitting to authority, whether it be man or God, even God's authority, is we'll take the word of God like a Rubik's cube and we'll say, this is too hard. I don't like it. It doesn't make sense. And we'll start to take the stickers off. We'll start to take this verse out and say, that one I don't like. This one out, I don't like. This one out, I don't like. Can I just tell you that we cannot do that to the word of God? We have got to let his principles rule because when we come to be sons and daughters of God, we live in his house. We abide under the, the paternal governance of God and he knows best. His way is the best way. He institutes authority, friend. So after we vote in just a couple of days, we must be prepared as the people of God to submit in a righteous way to authority so that our light might continue to shine, that we do not become spiritual anarchists choosing which scriptures we'll abide by and which ones we won't. I'm gonna end with this. The fourth thing I wanna share with you is that we are a people made in his image. We're a people made in his image. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this to you quickly. Mark chapter 12 Verses 13 through 17, it reads, Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I'm concerned that the church has been drawn into a political identity. What Jesus is telling these questioners is that when it comes to civil government, when it comes to human authorities, we're to be good citizens and to give to Caesar, to give to the governor, to give to the president what is due them. Just like our currency today, the currency at the time, the denarius, had the imprint of, this, of Caesar. That belongs to Caesar. Just like our coins today bear imprints of a president. 
or our bills bear the image of presidents and we're to give to earthly authorities what is due. But what Jesus' key point is this, you can't give your whole self to human authorities. You can give them the coin that bears their image, but we were created in the image of God. You belong to God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and it stays here on this earth, but you have to give you to God. We can't get let the church of Jesus Christ, not just thrive, but the church of Jesus Christ becomes so politicized that our image begins to get muddied and it's part me, part my father, part God and part a candidate. There are people who bear the image of their candidates more than they represent the image of God. I am so happy that Amy Coney Barrett was appointed to the Supreme Court for a lot of reasons. But my hope is not in Amy Coney Barrett. You might get your presidential president elected, but your hope cannot be in a president. We have had justices appointed to the Supreme Court that most Christians would be happy about, but they have ended up voting against what we would consider principles. We can't put our hope in Amy Coney Barrett. We can't put our hope in, in Justice Roberts. We can't put our hope in Justice Alito or Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden or Donald Trump. We do not bear the image of these men and women. We bear the image of God and we must do our level best to reflect him, not a political party, because this too shall pass. And what will we what will we think of the testimony and witness that we gave during these perilous times? Can I just tell you, I'll end with this, that I imagine the 2020 is as if God took the canvas of our historical narrative of the year and he allowed black paint, dark paint to be painted across that canvas with the intent of letting his people shine and be noticed as distinct from the day that our faith and our book supersedes epochs and eras, pandemics and fires, that it supersedes politics. How many believers have lost their way and their light's been obscured as they've bared the image of a platform or a politic or a fear or an anxiety instead of bearing the image of God. It's not too late for us to shine. Let us put away those sinful desires like Peter describes them. And let's love again. Let's testify again. Let's vote righteously. Let's represent Jesus. And when this is over, let's be the church that God intended us to be because it's in God that we have trusted and it's in God that we will trust going forward. I love you, family. I invite you to prayer tonight at five o'clock. Let's pray for our nation. I'm praying for you. God bless. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.